So glad that you're with us today. Um, we uh, are just finishing up a series, part four, of a series we're calling Our Secular World Inside of Your Programs and Note Sheets, uh, in case you want to write some things down along the way. Um, it's been a series that has kind of uh, got us through uh, some of the, the, the slow weeks of summer. Congratulations on back to school, parents. That's a, it's an exciting week for us. Uh, but for the month of August, we've been looking at this idea of discovering what kind of a world uh, we find ourselves in, and really answering a question that uh, has not been probably all that pressing on your mind until I brought it up a couple weeks ago, and even then, who knows? Let's, let's look at it together that's on, on the screen. It says, basically this, how in a relatively short period of time do we go from a world where belief in God was the default assumption to our secular world in which belief in God seems to many unbelievable? Um, that's the question that we're kind of addressing uh, throughout these last couple of weeks, which may not sound all that engaging, like I mentioned, but... Uh, and and it, and we, we, we can know that this is true. Even if you're not religious, you're like, I'm not really like bought it. I don't have any stock in Christianity. I'm good, whatever. Um, you can kind of sense this, though, because your grandparents were way more religious than you are, and, uh, and, and you are or whatever. Uh, and, and it just felt like the world was. And that's just like a generation ago. The, the book that we're kind of pulling this from talked about how it's been a change that's been in the making for hundreds and hundreds of years, for like 500 years. How, how did we go from 500 years ago? Default assumption was everybody was a deist. Everybody believed in some sort of a God. And now it's kind of like, and, and And to some of the people that you work with, they find out that you go to church and you're like, you, you're, you seem so smart. What's, what's that about? Why would you do that? That seems ridiculous. Um, so we spent week one talking about why this question is important. Uh, in week two, we talked about like an alternative narrative, because the narrative that oftentimes goes is, well, the reason that we used to believe in all kinds of spirits and fairies and demons and all this kind of stuff was because we didn't know so much. But now that science has come along and explained so many answers for us, we just don't have a need for it. We're very utilitarian as a species. And since we don't really need it anymore, we're therefore less religious uh, as a result of it, which is partly can be true. Absolutely. I get that. Um, I'm, all, I'm pro-science. So... Uh, I'm, I'm in that vein. I, I do think the answer in week two, we said, is a little more complex than just a subtraction narrative, one that we removed one thing and now we're left with something else. It's more complex than that. And then last week, we looked at what it means to be here, what it means, what it means to be in a secular world. When you look around, what does it look like? What does it feel like? And sometimes you're, you're so immersed in something, you don't realize the unique nature of it. And so we said that when you look around and we look around, what we, what we see more than ever, and it's obvious once you're like looking for it, is this this personal uh, obsession with expressive individualism, that um, we live with an abundance of choices. We know that our choices make us, and probably the most important thing we can do is make a really smart choice of what we buy, who we date, where we live, where we go to church, where we go to school, where we work, all that kind of stuff. All of those make up some sort of an image that we're constantly projecting to a world, and we're always filtering things through an image uh, of what is this, how does this look on me? How does this look on me? Does this look good? Is this, is this what I want the appearance of looking like? And so we have these really, we have, we have thick and thin beliefs in life. And these thin beliefs are, are oftentimes things that we, we say we're, we're passionate about, but really we just like the appearance of being passionate about them. And if ever it comes into conflict with something that, you know, we hold these two conflicting thin beliefs, we're like, well, I, don't, uh, I don't even know. I, I don't even know what I believe in that. I just I just want to ignore it and go away for a little bit. So that, that's kind of what we've been leading up to, which is all very interesting, very fast response. And if, if I, you feel like I jumped to some conclusions there, there's a website you can go to, slash talks, all of the previous three parts of this series, because it's been a very um, different kind of series for us. We recognize it's summer, it's typically home teamers, and so um, it's been a little bit more in that vein. So today, we're answering the question as we finish this whole thing off, what do we do now? 
What do you do with this? We recognize what it is. We kind of think we discovered a way of how we got here, what it means to be here. And then, but really, this is the most enga- engaging question. What do you, so where are we going now? What do you do with this, right? Uh, heaven forbid you found out a bad piece of medical news this week in your life, right? You found out, I'm knocking on wood, but you found out that you got some sort of disease or you got delivered the news that you have cancer, right? Um, and in, in that moment, they can talk about um, what it is. It's basically uh, like this, uh, you know, obsessive division of these abnormal cells in your body. They can explain to you why they think you might have got it, um, although we don't really know. It could have been your phone. It could have been that food you ate at the fair this week. It could have been all kinds of stuff. Anything can give you cancer, right? Do you have insulation in your home? Oh, boy. Oh, my gosh. You're doomed from the start. Um, so... There's all kinds of explanations for what it is and how we got here, but the most pressing important question, anytime anybody receives really bad news, everybody's always like, yeah, 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 what are we doing about this, right? Like, so, so what's the next step? So where do we go from here in light of this? I don't really care. I don't need a graphic presentation PowerPoint on what cancer is. Am I going to lose my hair? A, because I'm obsessed with expressive individualism, right? Uh, and I want that to, you know, and all kinds, of, and more importantly, am, am I going to survive this thing? Am I going to be able to get through this? And what kind of remedies and solutions and, or treatment plans? Anyways, all of that. So what do you do now? What do we do? If we, if we can all agree, even for a moment, even if you would just appease my talk and say, yeah, okay, we live in this, a more secularized world than we did a few years ago. What, what is the, what do you do now? What do you want to do? Turn back the hands of time? We should all just go back to rotary phones and blockbuster video? No, we should not do that. We hated blockbuster video. Do you, you remember that, right? Like the obsessive, uh, uh, just terrible late fees and their generous description of new releases, which is like, why? Because it's in color? I'm getting charged extra? Is this why it's happening? So anyways, what do we do with this. The, the, the goal is not, again, to go back and change, and can, I'll just go back to this other more peaceful time. Those good old days don't actually exist. Um, so how do you survive now? And how do you, not survive, that's the wrong word, because I, I think you can definitely thrive in this kind of environment. I don't think Christianity is doomed. Uh, I don't think that the headlines of uh, people are falling out of, you know, mainstream Christianity. For some of that, there's really good reasons to do that, right? Um, uh, so so what, what What's the, what's the next step for us? How do we, and, and let's make this not like corporate, like Christianity needs to do this, because that feels very distant, and that feels very, I'll write a letter to my Christian congressman or something like that. Um, I'm talking about you, me, the world that we live in. What do we do with all of this? And I think the first step is to understand that it's always a take, everything's a take, even when it doesn't feel like it. There's always a take on this thing, meaning this. We talked about the idea that we used to live in an enchanted world. Science has come along and sort of disenchanted things for us. We no longer have to wonder why the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, or why when I leave food out overnight, it's a different color in the morning. Uh, we, we know kind of what takes place in all of that, right? Um, this disenchanted, non-transcendent, flat sort of world is often not perceived as a take. It's progressively more and more 
um, seen as neutral data. The fact that there is really no God, all that exists is what you can see, touch, sense, feel, um, all of, uh, there, there is no other thing beyond this. It's just this. So make the best use of this as you can. Um, and it can feel as if that's just reality and, again, neutral data and not necessarily a take on it. So you come to a church service. You, you show up at a, 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 ser- a sermon like this or a talk like this, and there's talk of sort of uh, like a transcendence. There, there's talk of uh, what you do in this life matters for beyond this. There's, there's a baptismal thing where people make a public declaration of an inward transformation in their life. Like, why in the world would you get wet in front of people? That doesn't make any logical sense unless it meant something like it's a, it's in a moment for me. It's a, it's a statement for me that I'm now um, identifying myself in a different way, and um, it's, uh, it's meaningful for me, right? So every... When you, when you are approached with people or when we are approached, when we are fed an, an agenda, and not like from the mainstream media or leftist media or whatever, I'm just saying, just the, our world begins to talk about how this is just what it is. This is neutral data. You cannot compete with this. There just is no otherness. There's no, nothing beyond. Um, that's fine as a take, but it's important to understand that that is an option, that that is a take. Here's how Charles Taylor, let me read his quote and see if we can help understand this even a little bit more. What this view reads out of the picture is the possibility that Western modernity might be powered excuse me, by its own positive visions of the good, that is by one constellation of such visions among available others, rather than by the only viable set left after the old myths and legends have been exploded. In other words, there used to be a lot of different options. Science has come along and kind of disassimilated or um, exercised all of these old myths and legends and whatever, and now we're left with kind of the leftovers, which is what is left to be true. What pretended to be a a discovery of the way things are, the obvious unveiling of reality once we remove myth and enchantment is in fact itself a construction, a creation. This idea that all, that's, all that you can see, all that exists really in reality is what you can see, touch, and feel is itself a take on reality. It's important. Like your very first step should be to understand, okay, that is fine. That's a very much a take, but that is one of, of options that I could take. That's one of several different things that I could kind of go with, and there are other ways to be able to perceive that. If it's perceived as the only option, and if it's perceived as for you to believe anything other is ridiculous, for you to believe that a God could exist, that there could be something beyond this life, that there could be uh, transcendence above the, the mundane nature of this life is important. Um, he goes on uh, a, a few pages later in this book that he's writing that we're looking at. <clears throat> this one has a couple of words that are a little difficult. If the book has a desired perlocutionary, I looked it up and I still didn't know what the definition is. Here's what I found out, though. If you just remove that word, the actual statement still works. So let's read this. <laughs> if the book has a desired effect, it is rather this. So that's his really smart, like, Hey, I just to 
just to remind you I'm smarter than you. That's what he's doing right here, okay? Anyway, some of you guys are going to come up after service and be like, I know what the definition is. You Googled it. I know you did. You didn't know it before I said it, okay? Don't lie to me. The purpose of the book, let me summarize it that way. I think what we badly need is a conversation between a host of different positions, religious, non-religious, anti-religious, humanistic, anti-humanistic, and so on, in which we, another fancy word, I found out the definition for that one, put it in, abstain from mutual caricature, right, making fun of other things and presenting false straw man arguments against it, and to try to understand what fullness means for the other. In other words... Let's take all of the different takes and let's talk about what fullness, and fullness is basically what it means to find meaning and significance in your life. What is it that brings you a sense of accomplishment? What is life about? Let's talk about the goal about which life is about. That is something that is on the forefront of everybody's mind and is something that no matter how advanced science has gotten, it still kind of rattles in our brains. There's still really, really, really incredibly smart people who can't shake the sense that something is more. And you read about them all the time, and, and, and uh, you, you, hear, you hear people struggle with, like, what's this all about? Or you, find, you hear about people who get really, really wealthy, get really, really rich, and athletes or baseball players or whatever, and they'll make a statement like this, I wish everybody could get rich so that they could see that money doesn't solve all their problems. I don't even have a quote for that. I've just heard it so many times. I don't need one because now you're going, well, who really said that? You're like, of course I've heard that. We, we know that this is true. We know that, there, there, that uh, there's presented an idea of fullness in life, meaning justification is found through the acquisition of things. It's found through getting all the things that we want. It's found through looking a certain way and having a bunch of money and having a wife who, or a husband or whatever who looks good on Instagram and all of, these, all of these different things that kind of define success for us. And then you get it and then you get it or you talk to somebody who gets it and it still feels like hollow. And you're not there yet and you look at them and you think, that's ridiculous. I cannot believe that you're still struggling with depression and anxiety and stress with all of the things that you have. With the 401k that you have, you should be sleeping soundly at night. Why are you struggling with significance? I have a lot less zeros in my account and for some reason, you're coming to me and going, well, you know, I'm really just, what's this all about? And you're like, you should know. You drive a Mercedes. You tell me. What is this all about? Anyways, this is a struggle for fullness because we're all searching for fullness. How do we find meaning and distraction, or sorry, excuse me, meaning and justification in life? And what we do typically is engage in this uh, level of distraction. We often look for meaning in preoccupation, novelty, consumer choices, and entertainment. For most of us, fullness hasn't been obtained. We're not there yet. We're still like, I think I can get, as long as I still think I can get there, then what we do is entertain ourselves to death through lots of different things. We'll buy cars, we'll buy houses, we'll buy things. Because in the moment, it feels really good to do that. And it feels like we're making movement. And so long as we're moving on to the next thing, we feel that our life has some direction and therefore meaning. We are all on the search for justification and meaning. And as long as we feel like we're doing something, 
as long as I can feel like I'm going back to school or I'm in a job that has some sort of a, like scalability to it. Like, I'm not just going to be doing this for 20 years. Like, I, I can move up or move on, or this is a stepping stone to the next thing. As long as I'm moving, then that thing, that question about the fullness doesn't haunt me as much as it used to or as it could in that way. And uh, expressive individualism, the world that we live in about like the obsession with what people think of us and how it looks at us, actually fits nicely in this because we're all on this quest to live authentically. We talked about um, last week a little bit about we live in an age of authenticity, to be fully human. Here's, here's the answer to the question of fullness. Here's the answer to, well, you don't have it yet, but you could. If only you'll discover who you really are. If only you'll actualize your identity, express yourself, and be true to yourself, and so on. I got to do this. I got to be true to myself. This is what I want, and so on. To live authentically is to live faithfully to the meaning that we discover, rather to live in submission to external authorities. It becomes all about, a little bit about, um, about our ability to, again, choose, not be told what it's supposed to look like, but our, our ability to be able to make those decisions for ourselves. So to close this entire book up, he begins to talk about what it means to be where we're at and what do you do. You need to realize the multitude of options that are out there to be able to find or, or are selling you the idea of finding meaning and justification in life. He calls it the Nova effect. But basically meaning there, there's like a, all of a sudden, Western Christianity does not have a monopoly like it used to on here's what it means to live a full life, right? Uh, live in submission to God, uh, love others as you love yourself, um, all of that. That's one take among many, and there are so many different options. And you and I have this, in, you know, incapacity to focus in on one. We're like, I'm always trying the next thing. I gotta, how do I make this more efficient? How do I do this better? How do I, it drives my wife nuts because I'm always like trying to figure out if we go on a vacation, how do we maximize every single day on this trip? Because <laughs> I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it. And sometimes the options are so overwhelming. It's like paralysis. You're like not even sure what to do. That's where we find ourselves. We're all on a search for fullness or on a search for goodness. <clears throat> if we're going to talk about goodness, we also need to some account or what, of what goes wrong or some account of evil and brokenness. What, what do you mean when it doesn't work? Maybe, maybe perhaps to describe what will get us there isn't as important as describing what keeps us from getting there. And the evolution from when we used to believe as a default that a God existed to now it's like an option and really even more now a difficult option has been a move away from sin and in towards this idea of sickness. We've moved from talking about sin to one of talking about sickness. What was formerly sin is now seen as something that is keeping us from achieving the potential. We move away from responsibility. The reason I don't have any fullness is because I'm an idiot um, to um, the reason I don't have any fullness is because other people are idiots in my life. And while both may be true, by the way, just so you know, um, we tend to place one in priority above the other. What's wrong with me is more like a disease that befalls me uh, 
rather than a disorder from which I'm responsible. Like, I, I'm not causing this. I am a recipient of a broken system. Like, corporately, we can po- point towards other things. Um, like, in, in, uh, in the world, like a big picture type thing. Or, really, in like the small circle of family and friends, I'm just not given the opportunity, or nobody believes in me, or um, nobody gives me a chance. I never had the chances that somebody else got in this way. Christianity uh, has constantly and throughout history proposed a different option in this way. James K.A. Smith uh, wrote a book that kind of talked about this, and in this quote, or this, in this book he has this quote, the spiritual take has room to recognize that even people who are very successful in the range of normal human flourishing, perhaps especially such people, can feel unease, perhaps remorse, some sense that their achievements are hollow. Here's, here's what he means by this. If you can understand and if you can get to the spot where you can say, um, disbelief is a take, if I chose the take that God does exist, then perhaps I am under the authority of him. And perhaps the brokenness or the lack of fullness that I feel is perhaps a result of me being an idiot about my own stuff. I don't even do the things that I want to, um, that I know I should do. And that is what's keeping me away from achieving fullness. And if, if that is the case, then what James is saying here is that you can achieve all of the things that are supposedly going to make you feel meaning or find meaning and significance in life and still have a reason to say, but I'm not there yet. Yes, I have all of the things that all of these magazines are telling me is going to make me happy. But I know me, and at the core of me, I'm a broken person constantly in need of grace, and therefore I have a rational reason for being or for living with a sense of discontent towards um, fullness. I'm craving it. I want it badly. But it's not the next thing that I can buy or the next person that I can date. It's internal. It's not external. It's within me. The message of Christianity has been for a long time, it's in you. The problem is within us. This is why Paul, when he writes this letter to this Roman church, a church, by the way, he had never, ever uh, visited by the time that he wrote it. He writes in the letter, I can't wait to visit you sometime. Um, and a church had sprung up in the capital. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem where this whole thing kind of started. And he's heard stories about them. And the fact that a subversive culture is growing and thriving in the capital city is something that is mind-boggling to some of the external church. You feel like, you feel like a subversive, subversive religion that has a lot of things to say that is anti-empire would thrive on the fringes of the empire. That makes sense to us. Um, the fact that it's thriving in the middle of where the empire is making their decisions, that's mind-boggling. And so he writes them a letter, and in it he knows he's dealing with very smart people, which is why Romans reads a lot differently than a lot of the others that he, uh, other letters that he wrote. Um, some of the other ones have far more personal information. Tell so-and-so hello, and I'll see them the next time that I'm there, and I've heard that such-and-such person is starting bickers and fights among you, right? Romans, all he does is straight goes into 
the state and the nature that we find ourselves in. And this is, a, this is uh, thousands of years ago. He writes about humanity. And in chapter one, he talks about the depravity of man as a result of sin. He begins to say that our sin blinds us to all of the things about us that, 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 that uh, are these sinful desires, that it's like this embedded disease that's in us, that we are inherently selfish. Left to our own devices, we become about ourselves. In Romans chapter three, then a few, two chapters later, this is called the Romans road, by the way, if you've ever heard this, but this is how pastors, you are trained to like walk people through salvation, okay? In school, they're like, all right, make sure you know the Romans road. Romans 1 is the effects of sin. Romans 3 is the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? That none of us are exempt from this. If you breathe, if you're human, if you've ever done anything selfish for yourself, if you've ever, as a kid, been assigned from your parent to cut a piece of cake in half, and you cut it, but it wasn't quite half, and you took the bigger half and gave your smaller half to your sister, right? That you prioritized yourself, and don't say you never did that. You did, right? Or you broke the Butterfinger in half, and you looked at him, and you're like, well, yeah, obviously I'm taking this one. <laughs> if you've ever done anything in that way, or if I'm slightly describing you in this way, Paul is saying you are not exempt from this. And then in six, chapter 6, he says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ, our Lord, that there is a way forward in all of this. And it has to do not with trying harder or doing better, but with a grace that has been extended to us. And then in chapter 8, really this is, this is kind of concludes like his first major section. Romans is longer than eight chapters, but everybody feels like there's this, like this discourse between chapters 1 and chapters 8. And in chapter 8, it talks about how creation itself is groaning for full redemption, that someday everything will be set right, and that will include us, that even in this, even when we approach and when we become Christian or get saved or do whatever, when we sign a card or raise a hand or say a prayer or just be like, you know what, I think I might be in, right? It's never done. It's like, this, that it's like a process, that it's a starting point for this. Faith didn't get baptized today saying to everybody, great news, guys, I've been perfect for six months, and this now it's going to continue. This is a starting point for I'm making a statement. I want, to, I want to align myself with this person, and then it continues through life. That's what faith looks like, all right? So in, in Romans chapter 8, he says, creation itself is not exempt from this. They do this too. The entire world is broken. We're always looking at the brokenness around us and going, please, God, Something more, enough sickness, enough loss, enough death, enough pain. And he presents a hope that someday it will be, that things will change, that things get better, that one day we will be fully redeemed. We will become the type of person that we want to be, the type of person that when they break the Butterfinger, looks at it and goes, I'm fine with taking the smaller piece. Others above myself, and I want to get there and not do it because I want somebody else to be looking at me. Hey, Mom, you seeing this? Look what I'm doing, right? Then I just lost all of that. I want to do it for the right reasons, and I just can't. Even when I do the right thing, I don't even do the right thing. And in my generosity, even my generosity is broken. God, help me one day to get to the spot where that is just a general, true outpouring of who I am. Him. That's the path forward. That's 
what we do with this. We recognize that this is a take. We recognize that the problem, that of course, there, are, there may be some things stacked against you. The problem may be external in part, but never, ever, Christianity said, never, ever lose part or lose sight of the reality of the brokenness inside of each and every single one of us and the need for grace. That no matter, even when I do something good, it's through the grace of God who's working with crooked timber right here, making it this thing work. And in no better of a spot does this become a reminder than for us as a church when we do two things. One, we observe or participate. It's not even observation. We as a church are participating in faith and whoever else gets baptized in the next, we have like three in the next four weeks. Whoever gets baptized um, in this way and, and, and saying this is, this is an, uh, we are a part of claiming faith for Christ. Faith that's very deceiving because her name's faith. So you're thinking, faith is this ambiguous religious term. What are you talking about? I'm talking about the person in this moment. Okay, sorry. If her name was Karen, that would have made a whole lot more sense. But it's not. It's faith. <laughs> and also, uh, we participate in communion. In fact, we're going to do this right now. Because we do this at the conclusion of every series. So if you're on our, one of our communion teams this morning, if you want to actually slip out to the back and get this thing ready, and the band's going to come up, we're going to receive communion today. And perhaps nothing reminds us more of our need for grace in very, very tangible ways than communion. We are remembering the fact that Christ died, that Scripture points to us, that points us to a loving Savior who gave himself up for us. Why would in the world would we ever need that? Because we're broken. Because we're broken. And it's a message and a statement of love saying, come to me. And, and so we remember it. And, and so, um, and, and, it's, and it's so much more than mental assent to, uh, to the fact that we need grace. Communion for us is, a, is like a, um, a sensory experience. We take the bread, we dip it in the juice or the wine, and we consume it as a part of ourselves. I could sit there and be like, let's all close our eyes and think about the fact that we need grace, and that would be fine, but the church throughout history has recognized that there's something in the habits of doing things, of going through the motions of something. You've gone through the motions of communion, depending on how long you've been a part of a church, many, many, many times. And every time you do it, we're putting ourselves in this position to remember, I, I, I need this. I need this. I'm not doing this for you. Like, I'm not earning stars of credit. <laughs> I'm like some cool classroom that teaches me that I need gold stars from God or Jesus or whatever. I'm doing this because I'm broken, uh, left to myself. I would make very, very selfish decisions upon myself. Even when I do the good things, I don't do them typically for the right reasons. God, help me. I need your grace in this moment. I am reminding myself of the grace that you extend to me. May you do something in me. May you change my heart. And it probably will, I'll never be perfect this side of eternity. But I lean and I yearn along with creation, like Romans 8, for the day when one day full redemption is realized. And you change things from the inside out. Would you stand? I'm gonna read a benediction for us a little bit early on the service. I chained it up a little bit this week. I'm going to read a benediction, then we're going to go through communion. Um, you're invite, everyone's invited to participate, but there's zero obligation. If it makes you feel awkward, we never would want you to do anything that uh, it makes you feel in that way. But um, there's going to be two stations down here, the f or three stations, excuse me. 
Uh, two on the sides are bread and wine. The middle one is gluten-free bread and juice. So whatever your age restrictions, your dietary restrictions are, you can participate in that way. Uh, and they're going to play one last song. At the very end, I'll come up and do a formal conclusion. But let me read this for you, and then we, we'll move on. May we bear witness to a type of thick beliefs, right, that defies secular expectation and explanation, that unsettles our friends, our children, and our neighbors from their technological and consumerist stupor, and that gambles everything on the existence and the goodness of a transcendent God whose sacrificial love for us compels us, compels us to love in return. Amen. May that be our prayer as we participate.